sometimes you guys just sing and it is so beautiful. How many agree with that? Amen. Amen. I, mean, it was just, it was, I just held my eyes closed and listened to it. Whoa. And then I'm going, there's got to be a record producer out here somewhere. I mean, that. <laughs> your music here at this church, I've never experienced as much talent as we have here. And I still remember, believe it or not, I've been here six and a half years. And I remember the first Sunday, and um, the song they were singing, and I just, it just came over me, home, I'm home. And so, just, thank you. That, can you sing it again when we, when we get done today? And that, that, was, that was really good. I'll just close my eyes again and just enjoy it. Alright, um, today what I want to do is, um, uh, I want to talk about the woman and the issue of blood. Uh, found in Mark chapter uh, Mark chapter five, and uh, so we want you to uh, turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I put one. There's one in every every seat here, so grab one there, and, uh, and we're going to follow along here. Um, some people ask, "When is your sermon done?" I said, "When I preach it." Because a, a thought will come to my mind, and then I'll, you'll see me sometimes. I'll be looking, making sure my 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 information is correct. And, and uh, if somebody asked me one time, they said, if you weren't a preacher, what would you do? I'd, say, I'd be in the medical field. I, I love the medical field. And I don't know if I could be a nurse on a floor, but in, in the emergency room, definitely. I'd be in the emergency room or a paramedic or uh, somebody said, what would be your dream job? I'd say, I would be on a helicopter being one of these lifelike people, you know? I would love that because every situation is different. But the human body is fascinating to me. It is just an amazing, uh, I don't want to use the word machine, but I can't think of another word for it. But if you think about it, we have not uh, progressed, I mean, most of humanity, up until about the 1800s, 1700s, pretty much stuck when it comes to medical. Uh, they were they were guessing at a lot of things on on what well, you know why is this person sick or whatever. Who remembers the Beverly Hillbillies? Okay, wow, I'm amazed. Some of you younger ones know what I'm talking about. You should I'm talking about a TV show and nobody knows what I'm talking about. Anyway, the Beverly Hill Granny on the Beverly Hillbillies and the, and, and so she'd come up with these different ideas on how to how to how to. Um, Deal with various sicknesses. You, you take some possum and you grind him up, and then you put a possum tail around your neck and you walk around. That that's the that's literally similar to what medicine was like. And as a result of that, life expectancy was fairly slim. Let me let me give you an example. Darwin Dunton married Polly Clay. David Dunton, Darwin's dad, married Marilyn Delancey. Elmer Hunter Dunton married Bernice, Bernice Mangus. That was my grandfather. Elmer, uh, Elmer Paul Dunton married Zella Hunter. That would be my great-grandfather. Hunter, Huntertown, Indiana. You know where that's at. 
Okay, that's why he said we're, our family was involved at that time. Manville Newton Dutton married Martha Ann Lewis, his first wife. His second wife was Mary J. Birdsley. Horace Friend Dunton was Manville Newton's wife, husband, father, and he married Alice Timmerman, and his second wife was Julia Warner. Horace Friend Dunton had a son, and his son married a Martha, eventually became Martha Dunton. She had twin girls that were born on May 20th, and that was the day that Martha died and the twin girls died. Ephraim Howard Dunton married Clarinita Bentley, and then his second wife was Pamela Hicks. So you see what I'm getting at? If you were a woman back then, man, you were in trouble. Because medical was not really there. And in fact, the most dangerous time, and it still is for a woman, is when they're giving birth. And as I said, I, I lost a, a great, great, great aunt and at childbirth with her twins. Because we didn't know much about medicine back then. In fact, the first anesthesia... And that was ether, was in 1845. So before ether, uh, I don't know how they, if they even knocked you out, or if they just tied you down when they did surgery on you, because the first appendectomy was 1735. And it was on an 11-year-old boy. How, how do you take that appendix out of an 11-year-old boy if you don't have any anesthesia? In 1590s was the first time that they invented the microscope. So then they started seeing the pathogens that are in the blood. 1592, they invented the thermometer. And even though 1592 is about four, 450 years ago, Still, and when it comes to humanity, that is fairly short, or not too long ago. Here is a concoction for sore joints and headaches. Write this down. You're going to need this. Take equal, equal amounts of radish, bishop wart, garlic, wormwood, Helium, crop leak, and hollow leak. Got that? Okay. Pound them up and boil them in butter with saladine and red nettle. Got that? Keep the mixture in a bronze pot until it is dark red color. Strain it with a cloth and smear it on the forehead for aching joints. Got that? Good, okay. So I want somebody back there and I want somebody to uh, I don't know, uh, get that ready for when I have a headache today. 
<laughs> so here we have this woman. We don't know her name. We do know that she was suffering for 12 years where she was bleeding. And in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, it says that for a woman when she has discharged from the body, that's blood, primarily menstrual, that she was unclean for seven days and no one could touch her. Now the reason for that was not that she was dirty or unclean, it was for health reasons that they, that they did this. But here's this woman, and why she experienced this, we don't know. Maybe she had a baby. Maybe, you know, she had some other physical problems. But for 12 years, she was bleeding. And as a result of that, she could touch no one. And no one could touch her. And the cloth that she had, or the clothes that she had, would be considered unclean. So for 12 years, she wasn't touched by anyone. The Bible says that she went to many doctors. And, and, and the doctors did prescribe weird things for her because that's what they knew. For example, the Talmud. Now you're saying, what's the Talmud? The Talmud is Jewish commentaries. Okay, I have a commentary. You go in my office, see books in my, in, in my office. Uh, those are commentaries. Those are people who, who study, who have comments upon the scripture. So the Old Testament, you have the Torah, which is the scriptures, and you have the Talmud, which is actually the, uh, the commentary of the, of the Torah. So this is how you got rid of the, the menstrual issues that this woman was dealing with. You ready? Write this down. This is important, just like the, the, the red stuff you put on your head for headaches. The prescription for a woman who had this problem, according to the Talmud, was to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer. But in the winter, you were to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a cotton bag. Or you could carry the, a barley corn that is found in donkey dung, or drink wine with alum and crocus, or wine with onions. And that was the medicines that this woman had probably done. Let's look at this. Go to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Let's, let, let's read this. Okay. Hopefully it turns on this week. Last week it did. No, hey, it worked. Okay. So Jesus had, again, crossed by boat to the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And the reason why the large crowd was around him was because of the fact that he was performing many miracles and he was actually casting out demons at that time. One of the, one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came when he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, I don't know about you. But when I was a parent, if my kids were sick, I wanted to do all I can to, to save them. And now that I'm a grandparent, that's even worse. No one touches my grandkids. There's something that comes over a grandpa. I don't understand it. I mean, there's something that comes over a parent, but there's something even worse over a grandparent. I mean, like, don't mess with my grandkids. 
And I know if one of them was sick, I would do anything that I could. If they needed a kidney, I'd give it to them. And so here's this synagogue leader, and he's at the end of his rope. His daughter is dying. He hears about this man named Jesus who is the healing the sick. And he goes up to Jesus and says, please come and heal my daughter. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she was said. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. We see that. I've been in the ministry for 35 years, or 36 years, and, and I've seen that over and over again. I've seen individuals who are desperate, and they will spend absolutely anything to save themselves or save others. My, my second church, I had people literally travel to Mexico to get shark cartilage because they thought that would help them. I mean, you get to that point, you're grasping at straws. My, 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 my sister-in-law, when she was dying of breast cancer, my brother took her to MD Anderson in Texas all the time. Of course, it didn't help. You, you'll spend the money, okay? But it grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. You know, there's a couple, couple things that I, I, I see in this one passage before we get going is this. And, and this is for the feminists that might be watching or maybe in here. Do you know that Christianity elevated women more than any other religion or any other organization that had ever existed? Do you know that? The feminists say that well, Christianity is keeping them down. No, 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 no. You go back to the time of Jesus, and women were very low class. Matter of fact, they were considered property. And that was not because of religion. That was because of society. And yet Jesus is the one that went to the Samaritan woman. Jesus is the one that uh, allowed this woman to touch him. Jesus is the one that was going to Jairus' daughter. Why? Because women have great value. And Jesus is the one that elevated them. Okay, so he said, if I do this, I will be healed. So that kind of brings me to the first point I want to talk about. Faith involves risks. You know that? I find out that as I get older, I don't like to take risks anymore. And, and they've done studies on it, and they say you don't have as much dopamine in you as a teenager does. But the one thing I've always noticed when I was a fireman and EMT was this, okay? I don't see older people driving 110 mile an hour down a dirt road. It's usually teenagers that do that. There was a, when I lived in Auburn, Indiana, just south of Auburn, there was a bad accident one day. In fact, it was, it was involving a church youth group. It was a pastor's daughter that was involved with that. What they were doing is they were called hood surfing. You know what it is? You get on the hood of a car and you go down the road like this. It's a teenager going down the road like this, okay? And guess what happened? He fell off. And so they dialed 911, and, uh, and the pastor's daughter got down, and she did what every good pastor's daughter, she's praying for this person in the middle of the road. What's the problem with that at night, by the way? 
very unsafe. Another car comes up, they're in the opposite lane, the, the lights are, are, are blinding them. Kill them. Now I'm an old guy, I'm sitting there going, why would you be on a hood? But risk, the teenagers love risk. Go to Cedar Point, go to Kings Island, you'll see it. Not too many gray-haired people that are on the, on the roller coasters. And yeah, I got on roller coasters because who asked me to get on the roller coaster? Grandkids. My grandkids. grandkids. Papa, will you get on with me? I really don't want to. Papa, please. <laughs> All right. Anybody been to Kings Island? You know that stunt roller coaster that shoots you out like that? My life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> I'm going up there and literally everything went black. You know, and I'm going, this is for you, kid. <laughs> but faith involves risk. So here's this woman, and she says, if I could only touch him. She was breaking the law. She was breaking the Old Testament law. She wasn't allowed to touch anybody. But if I can just touch the, the hem of his garment, she was willing to risk. Faith involves risk. Do you hear me, people? Usually a younger church is willing to do more risk than an older church. A younger denomination is willing to do more risk than an older denomination. And I venture to say that when this church came to the point of saying it's time to tear down the old building and build a new one, which you did over there, there was probably a lot of younger people here at the time. And then the same thing with this wing and this wing, they were younger. The problem is that when we get older, we get into that point where we go, oh, we just don't want to risk anymore. I can go from church to church to church in this area, and you can pretty much tell the age of the congregation based upon the building. Are they willing to change? Are they willing to risk? Faith involves risk. Denominations are the same way. You get into the United Brethren Church, you get into the Church of God, you get into the Methodist Church, you get into all these. When they first started, they were risking. They were going into the bars. They were sharing the gospel with people. They were being run out of towns because they were being risking so much. And then when we get older, we kind of say, you yeah. know, Maybe we just need to save the church. And yet people aren't being saved. Everything this church has ever done, denominations when they first got it ever done, it always starts with a risk. In fact, you go through the scriptures, whenever you see faith, it involves risk. Do you know the parable of, 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 the, of the talents? Two of them risked, the other one didn't. And the one that didn't risk, I'm just so scared. And, and they didn't go out and they didn't do things. Eventually, the master came and took his talent away and gave it to somebody else. The one risked. You know what? I would rather risk trying than not trying at all. Whenever you share the gospel, you're going to be risking. But people need to know Jesus. Spiritually, when you risk, you're willing to pay a price. And if you want it bad enough, you're going to pay that price. For example, Jesus says, when he was talking to somebody about casting out demons, he says, these 
demons only come out with prayer and fasting. That's a price you're willing to pray. How much, how hungry are you for God? If you're so hungry for God, you're going to pay a price. You just don't sit here and go, okay, God, fill me. No, you pay a price. There was a man who went to Jesus and he says, I just feel so empty. He says, but you're rich. I know that. He goes, so go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. That's a risk. Are you willing to pay the price? And she was. She was so desperate. She was willing to pay the price. Okay. Let's go further. Verse 29. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body, she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately. Oh, I, I, so much I want to say about this. Do you know there's a lot of fakers out there? In, in, in fact, Jesus even said this. He says, in, in Matthew 24, is that time, if anyone says to you, look, the Messiah... Or there he is, don't believe him. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders and deceive many. Now, I'm a firm believer in miracles. I believe God does them. I believe God can do them. I have absolutely no problem in my mind that God can do miracles and will do miracles. I have no problem. But sometimes I think we're so desperate for miracles that we equate something to be a miracle that really isn't a miracle. Or is a, um, uh, a churning up of emotions or, or something like that in someone. The Bible is very specific that we are to test the spirits. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 5. Just because someone does a miracle doesn't mean they're of God. Because you have to find out, you've got to know if they what they are saying is scriptural or not. In fact, 1 John 4, verses uh, 2 says... This is how you know if it's of God or not. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh, it's of God. So just because someone does a miracle does not mean that it's of God. What is their theology? What do they believe? Is it of God or not? Okay. So... I, I guess the lesson here is also very simply... Whoops, I forgot this one. Uh, Jesus' healings are complete. Do not be deceived. In fact, it says here, immediately. Uh, most of Jesus' miracles are immediate. You know that. Like 95% of all Jesus' miracles are immediate. There's one where he was healing a blind man that he had to go back twice because he said people look like trees. And then he, he went back to him and then, then the person was healed. But the healings of miracle and of God are immediate. And by the way, they last. There's more I can say about that, but I don't have the time. Okay, so verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, I don't understand this. I, I'll just be honest with you. Um, you know, why did he feel the power leave? I, I, don't, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's one of these I just don't understand it. Okay, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. 
Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Brings me to the second, third point. Jesus' love gives us his undivided attention. Jesus died for you because he loves you. The Son of God, who loved me, gave himself up for me. Don't you love that? Seven, six to seven billion people are on this earth, and yet God knows your name. <laughs> I had a political statement. I'm going to stay out of that. Um, any president <laughs> that's out there, I guarantee if you go up to him, he doesn't know your name. Any queen or any king doesn't know his name. But God of the universe, the one that created the heavens and the earth, knows your name. The Bible says that he knows the very number of hairs on top of your head. I believe that the God of the universe knows how many cancer cells are in your body. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what's going on in your life. Isn't that great to know? That the God of the universe knows you. I think that's wonderful. And he knew. That one. Now, two of the women came around, but he knew, he came, he looked, and I believe his attention was on that woman at that point. The woman that he elevated. He said, her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. To the last point. The law condemns, Jesus commends. See, she was condemned by the Old Testament law. And as I said, the reason why they did the Old Testament law was for hygiene purposes. Okay? It wasn't because women were dirty. It was just hygiene purposes behind them. So the law condemned her. For 12 years, she wasn't allowed to touch anything. For 12 years, she wasn't allowed to be, uh, anybody touch her. What a condemnation that is. But Jesus turned around and commended her. You know, that's the neat part about Christianity. There are those who love to live in condemnation. But the neat part about Jesus and, 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 and uh, the neat part about Jesus is that he commends us. And what I mean by this is this. If I were to go into your past and I were to look at your spiritual rap sheet, I would say most of you would not want me to look at. Because there's things there in your past and in your life you're not proud of. But yet Jesus commends us, brings us back to a right relationship with God. And as far as the east is from the west, he remembers our sins no more. And I'm thankful for that. Because even as a pastor, there are some things I'm not too proud of in my past either. As I'm sure every one of you have, have, have that. That's why I say over and over and over again, I don't care what you've done in your past, I care what you're doing now. Because your past is irrel is ill I can't say that word. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Your past is irrelevant. Okay? 
it's it's not it's not it, the only reason why it's important because that past helps to shape who you are today. And so, if you come in for counseling, we'll go into your past, but not for the purpose of condemnation. The purpose is is to commend us, meaning to put us back on a right relationship with God ever again, always, again. always. But yet, we as a church, as a church, and I'm talking not about Mount Tabor. I'm talking about as a church, uh, universal. It's easier to condemn those outside the church than to condemn those inside. It's easier for us to look outside and say, they're doing this, 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 this. And at the same time, we're just as bad, if not on the inside. In fact, one of the scripture passages that changed my life. You ever do that? You ever read scripture and you're going, I cannot believe that I did that for so many years. You ever do that? Mine was 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I read it, and it's like, I can't believe this. See, it's easy to stand up and say, look at this, look at that, look what's happening, look what's happening in Slyon next week. I mean, look at it. those people, it's so easy to do that, and yet at the same time, we forget the fact that we are called to be a holy church. I went to the city council meeting on Monday. You know why, you know what the whole issue is about. They only gave us 90 seconds to speak. What can you say in 90 seconds? So everybody's sitting there going, what do I say, what do I say, what do I say? And they're trying to be, get that point across, gotta get that point across, gotta get that point across. You know, do you know what I did? I stood up and the first thing I did, I said, I, I want to commend you, the city council. You know, they had, had been beaten, 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 beaten. And I said, I want to commend you, the city council. Because how this information came to you was not right. It should have been given to you nine months ago, not one month before. And I watched them go, guess what happened? We're buddies now. No, 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 just kidding. <laughs> but that I commended them versus condemnation. You know what happened? They kept referring to what I said. And now I now had a right to say something. And I didn't stand up and say, we don't because of those evil people over there. And what I did is I gave them facts. I said, I went to the, I went to the uh, splash pad. And by the way, the splash pad is 200 feet from the amphitheater. And I turned around and I looked and I said, there's a direct site in there. And they're saying this is family friendly. There's a direct site in there. I don't want my kids or grandkids to see that. And yet if you're on the splash pad, you can do nothing but see that. And then... I said, there needs to be a barrier. Then one was like, we got a barrier. Yeah, with a snow fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you notice what I'm saying? Is I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at the issue, not the person. You look at the person, you're, they're going to they're gonna dig in. In fact, I, I learned this. One of the organizers of this says, do you know my car was keyed? Somebody in Salina went up and keyed my car. 
Somebody was flying and took my flag down and burned it. What? You know what came over me? It was not anger or bitterness, but compassion. I'm not saying what's going on is right. Please understand that. But afterwards, I went up and I talked to the city councilman. He shared some more with me that was happening to him. That someone in the community was, was doing flyers and sending flyers out that had their pictures on them that was very derogatory towards them. Do you really think that that's going to win people to Christ? I am still praying for a thunderstorm. I am. But when we, it's easy to condemn. But this person needs Jesus. And I'm just going, whoa. How are we going to share Jesus to a whole group of people that feel like the church has condemned them? Okay, let's get to this. I don't think I've read this to you. And this is Paul. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate you with sexually immoral people. Notice what he says. Not at all meaning that people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you, have to, you would have to leave the world. So he's saying there are sexually immoral people. It's in the world. You can't distance yourself from the world. And then he says, but... I love buts in scripture because but means something important's come, right? But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother. I changed my way of thinking things huge at that time because the question I need to ask it's not if you're a sinner, not if you're... Yeah, the question is, are you a brother or sister? Because that elevates us to a totally different level. Anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or a swindler or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler, don't even eat with such people. What business is... Here's the key. What business is mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person. So what he's saying is, those outside the church will be judged by God. Now, I am not saying we're not to judge. The Bible does not say we're not supposed to judge. That's a misuse of that scripture passage. But it does say, you know what? Yes, we need to stand up. Yes, we need to tell them we're sinners. Yes, we need to tell them they need Jesus. Don't get me wrong on that one. They need Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. But we're more apt to point out the outside than the inside. We are called to be holy. We are called to be a holy church. And we need to bring people to, 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 to the commendation of Christ. As far as the East is for the West. And I really hope, seriously, I'm, I'm being very honest, very vulnerable now. I hope when Saturday comes, 
you're not filled with disgust. I hope when Saturday comes, you are filled with passion because you realize there are people who do not know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, where is eternity going to be? I am not justifying what will be happening in Salina. I am not saying it's good. I'm not saying that. I do not support it in any way. But I'm just saying we need to refocus so that Jesus can be honored and people can come to know Jesus. My heart went out for that one guy who stood up and talked. I won't give you his name, but he stood up and talked. My eye of compassion. And then the gal that sat with him, yeah, get her. <laughs> but that one guy, I just went, oh my goodness, he needs Jesus. And no, I'm not saying we put a booth up saying, hey, come to us and everything else. But I am saying, the law condemns, Jesus commends. As far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sin no more. We are experiencing that, where our sin is no more, but there's people out there who need to know that. They need to know the love of Jesus. Just like that woman. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to touch his hem. I'm healed. Oh, isn't that great? Daughter, your faith has made me, has healed you. His focus was on her. And the healing that she experienced, and I believe it was more than just a physical healing, I believe it was a spiritual healing, and more importantly, it was a relational healing. Because now guess what? The first time in 10 years, 12 years, she can touch somebody and be touched. Let's pray. Boy, Lord, there's hard things to say today. We pray, O oh Lord, we pray for that situation that will be happening next weekend. We are praying now for a thunderstorm. But at the same time, Lord, we're praying for their souls. May people come to know you. May there be an outpouring of your spirit where people fall on their knees and give their lives to you. Father, may it be so. And you pray for our city council as they deal with hard situations. They're back into a corner. What do you do? So Lord, I just pray for them and I pray that you'll give them wisdom as they navigate these waters. And Father, I pray for the church. Father, may we be the light in the community. And may we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. May we risk. And may we share your love. We thank you in Jesus' name.